0: Canada, the conspiracy show with Richard Serendi. Well, hey there, friends, and thanks for inviting me into your home your long haul truck, your taxi cab, your RV camper, your cabin in the woods. Perhaps you're listening in live on our flagship station, or you may be listening in on one of our growing list of U.S. affiliates in Boston, Albuquerque, Lexington, Wichita, Chicago, Providence, and on and on it goes. Or you may be catching us on our, our podcast as you ride your motorcycle through the Outback. Uh, the podcast, incidentally, available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, ZoomerRadio.ca, uh, TalkZone.com. Uh, however, and wherever you're listening to The Conspiracy Show, welcome, welcome, welcome. A paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, joins us at the bottom of the hour. She's just returned home from a UFO conference near Joshua Tree National Forest. And uh, while there she paid a visit to a very mysterious, remarkable structure in the middle of the Mojave Desert called the Integratron. Now, the Integratron was supposedly built by an alien contactee by the name of George Van Tassel back in the 1950s. And the Integratron is said to be capable of rejuvenation, anti-gravity, and time travel. Uh, So Rosemary Ellen Giley will tell all uh, at the bottom of the hour. But first... The European Union appears to be on the cusp of destruction. It's really being tested right now, uh, this experiment. And you've no doubt been following the never-ending saga of Greece and uh, the back-and-forth negotiations with its creditors in an attempt to secure a third bailout package. Now, in January, uh, the Greeks elected an ultra-left-wing coalition led by Syriza. And uh, they went to Brussels, promising to secure Greece's place in the EU, return, retain rather the euro as its currency, secure much-needed loans, and put an end to these crushing austerity uh, pro- uh, programs imposed by the Troika that's resulted in uh, high, high, high unemployment, 25%, uh, 60% for youth, depression-like conditions, pensioners living below the poverty line. Uh, it's that bad. Uh, so Syriza uh, came back from Brussels with a proposal uh, that's really being pushed primarily by Germany's hardline finance minister, the crusty Wolfgang Schwabla, uh, that contained many of the same austerity measures that Syriza promised to uh, balk at and refuse. So they held a referendum in Greece, and uh, people voted no by a margin of two to one. So, armed with a fresh mandate from the Greek people saying no to austerity, they went back to Brussels, and um, uh, on and on it goes. Uh, and now, of course, uh, Schwabel is taking an even harder line, saying that uh, Greece must even uh, adhere to, to greater austerity programs, or they're going to be kicked out of the euro. So, uh, that leaves us where we're at right now. And Greg Pallast is, with us. He's a terrific investigative reporter based in New York, the author of some explosive books, including Vulture's Picnic, Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, uh, and more. He's penned a new article focusing on the situation in Greece titled Greased. We voted no to slavery, but yes to our chains. Greg Palast, how are you? Welcome to the Conspiracy Show.
1: Glad to be with you again.
0: You know, I uh, I get my news uh, from Greece from a couple of sources. You're one of them. Uh, Zero Hedge is another. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you right out of the chute, though. Uh, I mean, I know why I care deeply about Greece. I've got a personal stake. Uh, why Why do you write so passionately? Why do you care so much about this tiny country with such a, a tiny little GDP?
1: Well, because they're they're running. It's like they're experimenting on a little bunny. <laughs> you have a bunch of mad. Economic scientists running a very cruel experiment, like, well, let's see how much electricity they could, they could handle. I mean, the Germans have a bad habit of that. And, um, I think that it, it's, I think that it, we have to understand that we all get greased. Uh, and we, and, you know, you know, the other, as I've also explained, by the way, in, uh, the article I wrote for OpEd News, with, by the way, with, uh, my Greek co-writer, Michael Nevrodakis, who's, uh, in Athens right now, uh, you know, the difference between Greece and Spain is that both, in both cases, one in four people are unemployed. One in four—it's worse than the Great Depression of the United States yes. for the '30s. One in four people are are unemployed. But we talk about the Greek crisis and not the Spanish crisis, because the only difference is, is that the Greeks are resisting. So what they mean by crisis is resistance. Right. Right. In other words, there's a lot of people getting crushed by the euro, by their by their getting captured by the eurozone. And that's Spain, that's Italy, that's Ireland, you know, that's Portugal, that's Greece, um, and Latvia, uh, for example, Lithuania. Uh, these are nations that have been crushed by, uh, uh, you know, getting sucked into the uh, into the eurozone, and it's just that the Greeks have said uh, enough. They have enough history and pride to say. Um, uh, we're not going to take it anymore.
0: Uh, we should point out the uh, the article is called Greased. We voted no to slavery, but yes to our chains. And the vote, of course, referring to the, uh, uh, the referendum uh, uh, about a week ago uh, yes. in which they voted uh, by a margin of about two to one, the Greek people, to f- uh, no to this austerity package uh, in return for uh, a third bailout. Uh, of course, now the, the banks remain shuttered, and uh, Syriza uh, Tsipras and his new finance minister Varifak, has, uh has resigned. Uh, they are back at the uh, negotiating table. Um, uh, what what do you make of uh, Syriza's um, gambit here? I mean, are they? It seems odd if you look at the referendum question. First of all, that was very muddled. Uh, what do you yes. make of their of their their uh, their gamesmanship here?
1: Well, first of all, let's dismuddle the mud um syriza had uh cyprus who's the prime minister of greece uh from the uh, kind of left wing coalition called syriza uh has uh, called a referendum which upset the eurozone because they forgot that greece invented democracy and, and they forgot that greece greeks are still kind of enchanted by the concept that people ought to vote on stuff
0: so they, had dem-
1: so they had a referendum but it was an odd referendum as you would say because they didn't say okay we either accept the kind of German-led package to stay in the euro, and which means we have to cut pensions for the ninth time. We have to, you know, uh, go through this horror show. So you either accept the, the package from the eurozone, or we leave the euro. Instead, the, the referendum said, should we accept the package? There's no, or we do this, there's just, do we accept the package or not? And in fact, Cyprus made the kind of odd claim that the uh, that Greece can vote no on the uh, kind of the torture regime uh, which Germany would impose and and yet stay in and yet they could stay in the euro if they said no to the uh, to the kind of Reichsdiktat, uh of Germany but still keep the the German currency and the euro is a German currency it's not there is no euro it's just like there's no no one made Angela Merkel the president of the Euro. And, and even as Henry Kissinger once said, What, is, what does Europe mean? What is the U- European Union? When when uh, there's a crisis, what's the phone number for Europe? You know, there's, no, <laughs> right. there's no Europe. There is no European Union. They're not united in any way. It's, it's silly. And so it's, but Cyprus wanted to somehow get rid of, say no to the austerity and yes to, uh, uh, yes to stay in the Euro. That's why it's called. You know, we voted no to slavery, but yes to our chains. The reason we put it in the it's in the possessive is that my co-writer is, of course, in Athens and Greek.
0: Right now, uh, why do you uh, suppose Syriza is taking this this tact? Why don't they? Uh, I mean is it because they've looked at the polls? 81% of Greeks want to stay in, uh, they want to stay in this currency umbrella in the euro. Have they decided that maybe they can they can sort of back into the situation and get out and into a grexit or I mean are they being disingenuous? Why are they taking this tact?
1: It's a tough one to say. Um, I'd have to reach into the mind of a politician which is not easy, but uh, generally politicians as you say read the polls. Eighty-one percent of Greeks want to somehow stay in the euro because they've been brainwashed for years that this this euro business. And I saw this in Spain, where people are are being you know virtually horsewhipped by the German regime, and and they're taking it. It's a nation which has you know given up. Basically, they've agreed that their whole lives will now be serving, uh, you know, uh, you know, get serving. Uh, to uh, beer-barfing British tourists, you know, that, that, they're, that they're going back to third-world status just to stay in the euro. And because, there's, because no one has actually discussed what the alternative is, literally, Syriza has never laid out the case, well, if we can't stay in the euro, here's what happens. They don't even have a plan. The eurozone has a plan if Greece leaves the euro, but the, the Greeks themselves claim that they have zero plan, for leaving the euro they're not even prepared they have so no one's discussed what will happen. so it, it looks like like you just you know step off a cliff that's not what would happen i i should mention that i'm an economist by training and in fact i was there at the birth of the euro i i knew uh... The father of the euro, Robert Mundell, professor Columbia University, and and the, the people that worked with him at the University of Chicago, where I was, where I studied, and and I spent a lot of time with talking with Mundell about the purpose of the euro, which he invented, and he was very straight. The purpose of the euro was uh, was just the other side of the coin, and that's a pun intended, of his other invention, which is supply side economics, the Reagan economics, you know, uh, of uh, the. Total uh, destruction of government, unless of course you're rich and then government's on your side. But as Reaganomics, or as, as uh, George Bush called it, uh, senior voodoo economics. You know, you can cut taxes and get more revenue. Kind of magical thinking. But it was all about destroying the European welfare state, destroying unions in uh, in Europe. And when I say this, I don't say that I kind of in inferred this from what he told me he was very very exact that the whole entire purpose of the euro was to eliminate the power of, euro, of the unions and the welfare state and, and uh, government regulation and what uh, we call the safety net and uh, that was his entire purpose of the euro now how does that happen a little euro economics 101 it's real simple if you don't control your own currency
0: you don't have a country
1: you, well, no, you don't have your own budget, because the, the budget is, uh, you know, you have to, can't have more than 3% deficit, 60% borrowing. Uh, so you don't have, You can't control your budget, you can't control your monetary policy by definition, because it's not your money. You can't print more money if, the, if you need liquidity.
0: Right, which is what the U.S. is doing, otherwise right. they would be Greece.
1: Right, so uh, exactly, so that, you know, you can't, you don't have a fiscal policy, you can't raise or lower your interest rates, that's set by the... Uh, basically by the Germans, and you can't, you, know, you can't like lower interest rates so that you can uh, survive a recession because you're not in charge of your interest rate. No fiscal policy, no monetary policy, no budgetary policy, and of course, no exchange rate policy because you don't have an exchange rate. You got the euro. You don't have a... For, so, for example, in a normal situation, it's real simple. If the Greeks still had the drachma, which was good enough for Plato, if the Greeks still had the drachma, um, they could devalue the drachma against the euro or against the, basically which is the deutschmark right with stars on it if you you could devalue against germany but germany couldn't handle that because if if the greeks devalued against germany they could undersell germany
0: right and without the and, and without the euro, uh, without the drachma inside this currency umbrella the the deutschmark they'd never germany would never be able to export because it, their their currency is overvalued
1: right imagine uh, Germans competing against Italian lira, against French francs, against Spanish pesetas. All those currencies are gone. Everyone's stuck with the German currency, so no one can undercut. So, like Italy can't undersell. A, you got a Mercedes, right, They're competing against uh, um, against Fiat, right, and so the Italians can't reduce the price of a Fiat against the Mercedes because they're stuck with the German coin.
0: Yeah, it's a good deal for Germany. Listen, uh, Greg, got to take a time out. We'll come back, and uh, I want you to dispel some myths about uh, Greece, the Greek worker, uh, and also uh, insolvency and who is the greatest debt transgressor of the 20th century. This will be uh, surprising to many people, I'm sure. Greg Pallist, uh, journalist, investigative journalist and uh, author, best New York Times best-selling author, back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. When in doubt,
1: blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett.
0: We are back with Greg Pallast and uh, we should mention uh, that your book, Greg, Vulture's Picnic in Pursuit of uh, Petroleum, Pigs, Power Pirates and High Finance Carnivores, that's uh, soon to be translated into Greek, is it not?
1: That's right. It's my, I am actually somewhat influential in, uh, in the Greek economic journalism and because I've been Studying the vultures, these vulture financiers, mostly based in the U.S. and in Germany and Switzerland, they have been attacking Greece, one of the reasons why Greece has been in trouble. One of the main vulture financiers who's been attacking Greece and sucking the blood of the Greek people, that is, I mean, by charging you serious interest rates and taking tons of money from them, is a guy named Kenneth Dart. Now you might think of him as an American cuz he lives in Florida but that would be uh, you could get sued for saying he's an American. He was born in America, lives in America, grew up in America and made billions of dollars in America selling styrofoam cups, but he became a vulture financier, earned billions more through his financial depredations and he gave up his US citizenship, took Belize citizenship and there's no record that he's ever even been to Belize, but he became the US ambassador from Belize to the United States. So he lives, still lives in the United States, but as a Belize, not as an American anymore, but as a Belize citizen who doesn't have to pay U.S. taxes, and he's got diplomatic immunity to do whatever he wants to do within his compound in Florida. So he's diplomatically immune, tax immune, gave up his U.S. citizenship. A great patriot. Yeah, right. right. Well, let's... And then <laughs> he went after the Greeks, and, and so he yeah. made, when Greece was on its back... And everyone else, all the uh, other big banks even, agreed to cut some of the Greece's debt burden. He said no. He not only, he bought up Greek debt for pennies on the dollar, Mm -hmm. old Greek debt for pennies on the dollar, and then said, I don't want just face value. I don't want a 1,000% profit. That's for chumps. I'm not taking a 1,000% profit. I want a couple thousand percent profit. I want you to pay more than the face value of these bonds. When everyone else is taking 20%, I want 200%. And he got it. Because he said, if you don't give it to me, he's like a terrorist in a helicopter, you know, saying, I pulled the pin out of a grenade, I'm going to declare Greece in default, and the entire European banking system is going to go down the tubes. This is the type, these are the type of people that are taking control of the Greek economy. They are kind of financial terrorists. And I don't use that term lightly, just so you know. I don't use it lightly at all. Uh, and, um, you know, these are, these are not savory people. Even the banksters, are afraid of them. Um, and but this is what's happening. but on the other hand, the, the regular banksters have not been too nice either. He talked about the Greeks being given money for a bailout. The Greeks have gotten nothing. The bailout has been for the German banks like Deutsche Bank. the number one recipient of, of aid of the so-called Greek bailout has been Deutsche Bank. So Germany's been printing money for its own banks. It's been bailing out the United Bank of Switzerland, Deutsche Bank, Credit Lyonnais of France and and other uh, big European banks, and Citibank and J.P. Morgan, okay, and Goldman Sachs have all gotten a big, big piece.
0: So the bail the, bailout money. the bail m- in money goes into the the Greek central bank and then immediately out into the central banks of Europe.
1: They don't even trust the Greeks to do that. They they pay those banks directly. The Greeks have never seen that money that they now owe. And so these big banks are paid off. They charged enormous. You serious interest rates, 10%, 12 14% interest, insane interest rate. Right. And he, now they're getting paid off. They get paid off, and then they're giving the bill to the Greek people. And you asked me to dispel a myth about the Greek people. One thing that's going on here is a tremendous amount of racism.
0: Back. Oh, my Lord, it's terrible.
1: Yeah. And so they talk about these lazy Greeks. You know, it's yes. like olive pits spitting, ouzo swilling, Lazy Greeks who retire when they're 31 years old and, um, you know, get fat pension checks and never work more than three hours a week. Let me correct the record right now. Thank you. And again, I'm not Greek. I don't have a dog in this. I'm, I'm not German. I'm not Greek. I don't have a dog in this fight. It's simple. The Greek people, those who have work, work more hours Than any other nation in the developed world, more hours per week. Now, how do I know that? If you go to the OECD website. Now, the OECD is the official organization of the developed nations of the world, 30 developed nations in the world, from you know Japan, U.S., Germany, etc., and Greece. Greeks work more hours than anyone on this planet. They get up in the morning and they're growing their tomatoes so they can eat, then they go to work at their job in the shipyards, and then they go work in a restaurant to serve Germans, who by the way, Germans work the fewest hours of any worker in the developed world. The lazy, so it's the Germans who work the fewest hours, calling the Greeks lazy who work the most hours, And the Greeks, they say, oh, they have fat pensions. They've had their pensions cut eight times.
0: Eighty percent of pensioners are now living below the poverty line.
1: Below the poverty line. And for the first time since World War II, you have starvation in Greece, half a million undernourished children. It is devastating. It's sick. And at least they're resisting. But again, the problem is that you know they're afraid because they've been told by their leaders of both the left and the right and the you know the elite, we can't leave the euro. So people are panicked. They're saying no, we can't, we can't take it anymore. We can't this so called austerity. That's a, it's a nonsense word. It's punishment. They call it austerity. Or, or the new latest word is reform. What do you mean by reform? They're, they're not getting their pensions aren't too big. The people are suffering. They're no. going to have an eighty-six. They're going to retire at sixty-seven. That's when their social security kicks in. They've like I say, it's been cut massively. So as you say, eighty. there is no, and by the way, that's the problem with Europe. There is no Europe. In the United States of America and in Canada, you have uh, national health, well, you have in Canada, you have national health insurance. You don't have national health insurance in Europe. You have each little nation. So Greece is, Greece cannot buy medicine now. They don't have the, they don't have the hard currency literally to buy medicine. People are literally Suffering, they're literally dying. This is no joke because there's no because they cannot, the nation cannot afford to bring in medicine. So there's no Europe.
0: Let's just spell There's let's no national
1: a... pension. There's no, no. Europe pension. But, it's there's no Europe. Nothing. It's a con.
0: If it was really the United States of Europe, let's look at the uh, the United States of America for example, and mm-hmm. a, a state like South Carolina. I mean, you have, we have them in Canada, too, transfer payments, where a state, they receive more in tax revenue from the federal coffers than they give out. That's a transfer payment, because they're we call them have-not provinces or a have-not state. They receive money. If it was a true federation, you would be pouring, you know, taxpayers, there'd be a redistribution. More money would come into Greece than is going out. That's how a federation often operates. You have poorer regions, you have richer regions.
1: If they wouldn't crush Greece, It would not be a poor region. Greece is actually, well first of all, the number one thing, by the way, that Greece has, and you're right. That's the whole point. I mean, Obama, for example, I mentioned that you have no budget control if you're in the Euro, if you're the nation of Greece or any nation. Okay, only, only the Germans control the whole thing. You wonder why the Germans, because they, basically the Euro was created by Germany as, as a kind of Uber Deutschmark. And so what's happened is when we went into recession in the U.S., and when Canada went into recession, both nations went into deep debt, which you have to do. You have to stimulate the economy with debt. You remember, in Europe, you can't have more than 3% debt. The U.S. went into 11% debt. Now the U.S. is back to less than 3% debt, but we had to go into deficit spending. Right. But you can't do that. The Greeks are not allowed to have deficit spending. It's insane. No, they're so, choking
0: a dying patient. Let's dispel yeah. another myth and this is uh, people need to understand this too. After the Second World War, even before the Second World War, Germany had huge massive debts. In 1953, about 20 countries got together, many of them which had been rampaged by by Germany during the Second World War, forgave most of their debt. That's right. The number one debt transgressor of the 20th century, they went insolvent, not once, not twice, but three times, was Germany.
1: Yeah, and not only that, by the way, I would note that while Germany imposes 3% deficit rule on everyone else, they've been the biggest cheaters. They don't have a 3% deficit. They're lying. They've been doing a complete con on their deficit.
0: How is it that Greece ended up under this currency umbrella? How did they end up in the in the EU?
1: Well, there are two things that happen. First of all, there's an elite which is very excited about the Euro. Remember, when I talk, we tend to talk about things like it's German occupation, economic occupation of Greece. What we really mean is the 1%. The average German not, is not getting anything out of, out of Greece, out of this stuff. They get a little bit of benefit, so they, they like this regime. But, you know, it's just like the, the World War II occupation of Greece didn't do much for the average German either. Right, yeah. and so it's about an elite in all these European nations, which are thrilled to take part in the plunder. For example, you can't have more than 60% debt, so they privatize, they sell off everything in Greece. If it's not nailed to the wall, and even and even if it is, the wall sold to the beaches have been sold off, the docks sold to the Chinese, the islands, you know, public parks sold off, the water systems, the electric systems, you name it, post office. It doesn't matter. It's all on the chopping block, and of course. These are the financiers who set the fire, and then they buy up everything cheap in the fire sale. Mm. And so the local elite is more than happy to buy up uh, Greece's properties, uh, basically buy up the national treasures cheap. So the, the local elite is part of the plunder. They're not suffering at all. There's elite in Greece, which is doing very well, and they're not taxed. And by the way, now here's something you'll really love, and it really illustrates that it's not about Germany Versus Greece in the end. It's really about the 1% versus the 99% of Europe. And that is the European Central Bank demanded that the Greek government raise so much money through budget cuts and taxes. So the Cyprus government, the progressive government said, okay, We will raise business taxes because businesses pay nothing in Greece. The big businesses, like the the big shipping firms, pay next to nothing in Greece, if if anything at all.
0: Nothing on foreign earnings. It's in their constitution.
1: Yeah, and so they don't pay money. The the big Greek shipping magnets have a free ride. So let's start taxing these characters. And the troika, the, the big financial conglomerate, including the European Central Bank and the European Commission, IMF, said, no, there's... They said, okay, in other words, the issue is not whether Greece will pay, but whether Greece will tax the rich. And, and they said, no, you can't, you can't tax business. You know, the old thing, it'll drive business away. God forbid you tax the Greek wealth. God forbid you tax the big Greek shipping magnets and, and the the big industries.
0: Well, that's that entirely you can't do. No, it's entirely true. Let's let's face it. In or out of the euro, Greece needs to reform its political culture. There is corruption. They need to right size their public sector. You know, they need to find efficiencies, regardless uh, of what path they choose. Just about at a time here, Greg. But I'm wondering whether the troika is going to attempt now to string Greece along for the next couple of weeks without giving them a deal in order to accomplish what the referendum couldn't, and that is a regime change so that they can get another party, another election, someone that's willing to play ball and get down on their knees again before the troika.
1: Oh, I don't have any doubt about that. that, uh, What they're trying to do is basically they're unhappy with the concept of democracy anywhere in the Eurozone. If you don't get the government that the European Central Bank and the IMF want, you're
0: uh, being targeted for regime change. Okay, last question, and we just got about uh, ten seconds here. Look into your crystal ball: Greece out of the EU and back on the drachma before the year's end.
1: I don't know. I hate to, because I always hate to speculate. I only investigate. I don't speculate. What I will say is, that I would hope that the Greek people come to their senses and realize that that they've had a proud and long successful history with the drachma. And that they don't need to be subservient to this wacky concept of a Euro because I gotta tell you right now, there's this whole idea, oh, we have to be in Europe. Greece will not crack off at the Albanian border and and crash into (laughs) Africa if you leave the Eurozone. This is a nutty concept. The world you know, you don't leave Europe because you stop using Germany's coins. That's
0: true. My my eight year old said he said to his mother, he says, Mummy, if Greece gets kicked out of Europe, where will they go? Asia?
1: Yeah, right, exactly.
0: Greg, always a pleasure. Uh, we should point out the website is gregpalast.com, and it's P-A-L-A-S-T, and also the Palast Investigative Fund Store. Let's help make billionaires and ballot bandits a movie.
1: Yeah, we're making a movie, and we're going to pull the pants down on those who are sucking the blood of Greece.
0: All right, Greg, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Opa. Okay. By rosemary ellen guiley up next stay with us
1: the truth is not out there it's right here the conspiracy show with richard serrett
0: Here once again, our paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She joins us once a month, and uh, she, the author of over 60 books on the paranormal, the supernatural, the metaphysical, many of the major encyclopedic works. Always a pleasure to have Rosemary with us. Hey, Rosemary, how are you?
2: I'm doing well, Richard. I just got back from an amazing trip to California where I had some incredible experiences out in the desert.
0: The Mojave Desert. You know, I have a, I hold a distinction. Uh, I remember taking a road trip through the Mojave Desert. Uh, I believe I was on my way to, to, uh, Las Vegas. And, um, I had left Canada in, uh, the cold of winter. I was probably the only person in the Mojave Desert. We had a flat tire. I got out. I was wearing thermal underwear. True story. <laughs> However,
2: <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs>
0: uh, you, uh, you indeed had an interesting uh, journey. Now you were at the um, uh, the Joshua Tree. There's a big conference uh, there every year.
2: Yes, I spoke at Contact in the Desert. They had over two thousand people, and uh, an amazing event. It was the third annual event uh, at a Buddhist meditation retreat center there. So. Um, it's uh, an outdoor facility, and some of the events do take place outdoors. And then uh, they have separate buildings uh, where they uh, schedule lectures. They had uh, speakers from all over the world, people from all over the world. And the retreat center sits on a very powerful vortex. In fact, that whole area around there, uh, Joshua Tree, and there's uh, a huge uh, federal park there, the Joshua Tree National, right, National right. Park has been renowned for a long time for sightings of mysterious craft and lights in the sky and uh, meetings with aliens. So when people come out for contact in the desert, they mean it literally.
0: Sure. And then just down the road from there in Landers, California, again right in the Mojave Desert, we have this rather bizarre-looking structure. It's a wooden dome. Tell me about the Integratron.
2: It truly is amazing. It looks like a small observatory. And it was built in the 1950s on instructions from aliens, from beings from the planet Venus, uh, to be a time machine and a rejuvenation chamber to rejuvenate the cells of the human body. So it's got an incredible history to it. And what's even more amazing is that it's open to the public and you can experience it today. Uh, the history of it uh, actually goes back to Native American times. The whole area was considered to be um, s- sacred ground and uh, a meeting place for um, spirits uh, back um, when settlers first came into the area. And um, it's a very stark landscape out out in the desert. I'll say. And, uh, not too far from the Integratron is the world's largest boulder, and it's called Giant Rock, and this was very sacred to the Native Americans. Well, the man behind the Integratron, his name was George Van Tassel. He was an aerospace engineer, and he had some experiences out there at Giant Rock that launched him uh, on this incredible career of being almost like an ambassador for the aliens. He had um, Many contact experiences, he channeled uh, beings, he was one of the principal early uh, contactees and channelers for Ashtar, the Ashtar Command, and um, he's the one who got the instructions to build this Integratron.
0: Right, and he had sort of spacecraft conventions of his own out there. Now, was that before he built the dome or after?
2: Well, it came along concurrently with the instructions to build this. The brief history of it is that the land had been homesteaded by a man uh, named Charlie Rash, and after he died, uh, a squatter who was a prospector moved in, um, and his name was Frank Kritzer. And uh, Frank hollowed out a chamber underneath the giant rock and lived in it. Oh. Uh, and it was like living in a cave, you know. It was uh, uh, cool in the in the summer and warm in the winter.
0: So when people said to him where have you been living under a rock, he could under actually a rock, say <laughs> literally. Listen Rosemary, I've got to take a time out. We'll come back. We'll talk about the amazing structure in the in the Mojave Desert, the Integratron, what goes on there. Rosemary's recent visit. We'll talk about Van Tassel and much more right here on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
1: The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play
0: The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Her website is VisionaryLiving.com. She joins us at this time every month, and we're talking about this remarkable uh, wooden dome structure built in the early 1950s in the Mojave Desert. It's called the Integratron. Uh, Van Tassel uh, uh, built it, and it's located on a uh, an important vortex uh, that has, I guess it dates back in legend all the way to uh, sort of pre-Columbian times. Now, give us uh, a little bit more of a physical description. How high, how big?
2: It's, uh, it's about 55, 56 feet in diameter. And uh, like I said, it looks like a, a small observatory. It's white. It's made out of uh, wood and metal. Not a single nail in it. And uh, it is acoustically perfect. If you stand in the center of the dome uh, and speak, your voice will reverberate throughout the entire structure. And uh, so what people do today is uh, they have sound baths there. And uh, the principle is that because of the acoustics of this chamber, um, the reverberation of the sound and certain kinds of sound have a regenerative effect on human cells and uh, the the sound is generated by crystal bowls. A set of crystal bowls is played and then uh, uh, that sound reverberates around the chamber and then uh, after that is done, then people um, relax and kind of, uh, you know, uh, get themselves together with meditation music. And I've done the Integratron twice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an absolutely amazing experience. Uh, you feel like you're going out of your body. People have a very pronounced out-of-body projections. Um, the sound waves are so strong that uh, if you look at, up at the dome inside this structure, uh, it looks like the, uh, the wood of the dome is fluid, and you can see uh, like impressions of, of what look like spirit bodies impressed uh, upon the wood. And uh, it is profoundly relaxing, but the time travel aspect of it, that seems to have unfortunately been lost. Now, uh, George Van Tassel met this um, prospector, Frank, uh, and got invited out there. And uh, Frank was uh, accused of being a spy uh, during World War II, and uh, some authorities came out to arrest him. They threw a tear gas uh, thing into his chamber that he'd hollowed out under the rock, and unfortunately it ignited the dynamite that he had stored there because he was a prospector. So no more Frank Kritzer. And he was killed. Sure. So Tassel was able then to um, take over the property. It was government land, but he applied for um, permission to live there and move into uh, this place. And he set up an airstrip, a very small airstrip. Well, in 1953, uh, he was holding meditation groups to contact aliens. And in 1953, he was awakened uh, one night by... um, a man standing at the foot of his bed, and a craft had come down on the airstrip, and uh, there were four beings in it who said they were from Venus, and they took him aboard the ship and gave him the secrets of this uh, Integratron and told him how to build it. Uh, And he spent the next 18 years doing it. He raised the money through his um, UFO conventions. He attracted thousands of people out to the desert, And um, all the money was donated, and he was going to be the first person to experience the Integraton when, mysteriously, several weeks before its completion, he died of a heart attack. Of course, conspiracy theorists say, hmm, very strange that he supposedly had this advanced technology, which was all in his head. It wasn't in paper.
0: Right, right.
2: No paper documents.
0: He sounds like a modern-day Noah, except getting instructions to build the ark from God. He's getting instructions to build this life extension uh, technology from aliens.
2: Well, in fact, he likened it to the tabernacle of Moses. And he said also that some of these ideas had come from uh, Tesla. And uh, so uh, he even went on TV... And uh, gave interviews that he had tested out the time traveling aspects of um, uh, this uh, structure, and that he said uh, an event only is real if we think about it, and so this whole process used thought. Uh, that was an important part of it, and that he had he and his team had been able to go back in time and record earlier television broadcasts, and uh, he said the oldest one was about six years old. But all of that technology mysteriously vanished with the death of Van Tassel. And, uh, and so the the structure sat empty for quite some time, and his widow eventually sold it to a couple, and then uh, it was passed on to three sisters who own it now. And they've reopened it to the public and um, have... Um, used it as a a place for these sound baths for people to regenerate and whether or not there's any mysterious regeneration uh, nobody can make the claim for that it is profoundly relaxing and it does um, function on the principle that certain vibrations of sound have restorative effects
0: on the Oh, I, I certainly believe body. that. I, I certainly believe that. I believe that frequencies, well, that's what Ro- Royal Raymond Reif was on about, certainly. And uh, we're, we're beginning to rediscover that. But uh, how much of this uh, phenomenon, and, and we can talk a little bit about the various phenomena, uh, that maybe that you've experienced there, but how much of it has to do with the actual structure, and how much has to do with its placement over this vortex? Vortex. I mean, this energy, uh, this electromagnetic energy, is is measurable, is it not?
2: Uh, well, it's measurable um, in dowsing and uh, according to the principles of ley lines, and um, I I have not seen any. Uh, magnetometer readings of it. I would think that if um, someone brought out a magnetometer they might be able to at least uh, map out the magnetic anomalies of the place.
0: But you're very sensitive. I mean when you walk into that building do you feel different like walking into a crop circle for example?
2: It does feel uh, different. The whole landscape there feels what I would say different. Uh, and people do get physically affected by going out there and also out to Giant Rock. Many people will get kind of lightheaded, uh, have altered states. Uh, I, this last time when I was out, I went with, uh, uh, my husband and I went with four other friends, and uh, we went out to Giant Rock first. There's a huge uh, hill called Crystal Mountain that's uh, just covered with uh, rock crystals, nice quartz crystals, and we wanted to, to get some to take into the chamber. And while I was out there, I began to feel uh, just um, like I was tuning in to some other kind of reality. And I heard a voice in my head that said, George Van Tassel is here. Uh, and uh, I just had this feeling that something of his presence was going to be very palpable during the sound experience that we were going to have. And uh, one of the other um, members of our party is a filmmaker from Los Angeles, Paul Davids.
0: Oh, I know and, Paul. Yes, he's been on the program. Uh,
2: Uh, He had um, done some research on uh, Van Tassel and um, had also been out to the Integratron. And at at the end of our experience, he spontaneously did some channeling uh, of uh, Van Tassel uh, without me ever saying that I felt that Van Tassel was going to be present.
0: Oh, is not interesting.
2: Through a a series of synchronistic events, um, was contacted by one of Van Tassel's nephews uh, nephews uh, to uh, to do a film project on uh, Van Tassel. So it, it was just a very strange set of circumstances. Um, I did go out of body um, my very first uh, time there. I had a um, projection out of body, and my husband, uh, who had his eyes open, and uh, I had mine closed at the time, but he had his open, and he even saw me uh, get up and he thought I was actually getting up when, in fact, uh, I never moved. Uh, you lay on a mat on the floor.
0: He saw your astral body.
2: He saw my astral body. Uh, now
0: I've, and- only your, I've only met your—I've uh, only met Joe once, uh, um, and I, I don't recall. Is he? Uh, I mean, he seems like a pretty like straight shooter, like not a like a real no-nonsense guy.
2: He's a—he's a techie. Yeah. He's—he's he's a computer geek, and uh, he's very interested in all of these topics. Uh, that I work in, he has his uh, his own psychic sensitivities. Oh, too. he does? Okay. Uh, so, um, nonetheless, that was quite a dramatic uh, experience to actually see that visually. Oh, bad. So, I really am convinced that there is something to the energy of the place. Now, another experience that we had, uh, it wasn't uh, there at the Integratron, but it was back in the desert cities where we were staying. Uh, one night I was out sky watching and I saw a craft in the sky. It was a, a gray, uh, oval-shaped, um, silent moving, uh, form in the sky. And I could not tell how big it was because I couldn't tell how high up it was. And, uh, it just was in the sky for a few seconds and, and then it vanished. But it wasn't a star, it wasn't an airplane, uh, it, and I've seen the satellites moving through the, the sky. They're very faint and tiny. And uh, this was much larger than, than any star. So uh, there are all kinds of strange things that go on out in the desert all the time.
0: Oh, yes. I, I, I really want to get out to Joshua Tree for no other reason. I don't know if you were ever a fan of Graham Parsons. Uh, do you know the story of Graham Parsons?
2: Well, yes, I do. And uh, as a matter of fact, in December, uh, we, we got together with another couple Uh, And we stayed at the Joshua Tree Motel, and Joe and I stayed in the room where Graham Parsons died. Oh, wow. And we did a seance.
0: Oh, you did? That's amazing.
2: And uh, we did not contact Graham Parsons, and uh, there were uh, quite a few communicators who came through, and in fact, one of them told us that Graham Parsons wasn't there. He was way too busy in the afterlife. Uh, But there were other spirits who were attracted to the place because of him, including musicians and there uh people have had lots of phenomena happen in that room bad. and uh we had uh one of the things that we experienced was um you know the bed shaking um and uh you know odd sounds uh, you know on the walls and things like that so um now Parsons, you know, he had such an interesting history too. He would go out to Joshua Tree uh, National Park before it was a federal park. You could go out there uh, uh, at night any time, and he would skywatch, uh, and he was convinced that he had seen uh, UFOs on on many occasions.
0: Interesting, and and uh, just for those who are not familiar, uh, Graham Parsons, who of course was, uh, you know, played with Crosby, who uh, played with the Birds, and. Uh uh, uh, um, uh, had his own band, I believe. Uh, but, but he, when he died, um, was it Phil Kaufman, uh, stole his body from the funeral parlor because, uh, he was going to be buried, but, but Parsons had always let it be known he wanted to be cremated at Joshua Tree. They stole his body and actually, de ad- and doused his body in gasoline at the foot of the Joshua Tree and, or somewhere in the park and tried to set him ablaze and, uh, uh, it's a, it's an amazing chapter.
2: It's a story that's so crazy uh, you couldn't even make it up. No, indeed. Uh But yes, he had made the offhand remark. He was a rock musician. Uh, his his last band, uh, The Fallen Angels. Yes. Emmylou Harris was part of that. And um, one of the things we did while we were doing the seance is we we played um, his last album, uh, "Grievous Angel," uh-huh. uh, over and over again to to you know build up the atmosphere. But yes, yeah, Phil Kaufman and another friend. Uh, They actually stole his body. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had died of a drug overdose and uh, drugs and alcohol, and uh, they stole his body from the airport, from LAX airport. Uh, His stepfather was trying to get the body shipped uh, to where he lived in Louisiana, hoping that it would bolster his uh, claim to uh, Parson's money. Right. And uh, they, they got a hearse with no license plates, Um, and uh, they were dressed in their rock musician outfits, went down to the airport, convinced the airline employees that they were from the funeral home, and the family had had a last-minute change of heart.
0: Yeah, Rosemary, I'm out of time. I'm so sorry. It's a crazy story. We know the end. Yeah, they tried to cremate him at Joshua Tree. Thank you so much for this, and we'll talk to you next time.
2: Okay, thank you, Richard.
0: Bye-bye. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, VisionaryLiving.com. That's it for us. Thanks to uh, Tim Spreen, Albert Vinzel, Moses Neimer, of course, Chris Whitting and the team at Syndication Networks. Back next week, James Robert Wright on the Illuminati Mythos and time travel whistleblower Andrew Basagio of Project Pegasus. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper... Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.